In today's show, we're talking New York Knicks, a season preview that might be upended in a few weeks. It might not be. Who knows? Michael Bolton, I don't think he knows, but he's here anyway. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. I'm going to have two shows coming out today. Um, I am going to make a habit, I promise, of Market Watch Monday, but nothing's happened. I did that first uh, Market Watch Monday show to show you know, changes in Yahoo ranks and ESPN ranks. ESPN hasn't updated their ranks. Yahoo hasn't touched their ranks. Yahoo hasn't even released ADP data. ESPN's ADP data isn't even changing. In fact, I had a look at it now, and there's like the only change that's more than one spot in ESPN ADP data, for some reason, is Chet Holmgren going five spots lower from 109 down to 114 over the last week. So A, I don't know what's going on. B, people have lost their minds. People looking at Chet at 109 are going, nah, I'll wait. My guys, 109, you are insane. So there's no point in me doing a Market Watch Monday where nothing has changed and it just could be a 30-minute show talking about how people have no idea how to draft Chet Holmgren. And I don't think you want that. So we are going to do Market Watch Monday. Hopefully by next week, we and I think by next week we will have Yahoo ADP data out so we can do that and we'll be looking at all the rankings changes and stuff like that. But instead this week, I'm going to try and bang out all of the remaining team preview shows and then I will do separate fantasy-only team preview shows throughout the month of September, just me talking about players' ranks and ADPs and busts and sleepers and pressure points and all that sort of stuff, but that'll come later. We're just doing the, the, the base, and when I uh, introduced these series, I said it was like a milfoil, like the thing you do is the base of cooking, and I got it wrong. It's a mirepoix, which is the French onion-salary mixture that you put in at the start of a dish. So it's a mirepoix, not a milpoix. And thank you to whoever it was. I think it was Dazza that might have pointed that out to me. I really do appreciate that because it didn't sound right in my head, but I knew it was something like that. Anyway, we're all done. Warney's uh, waiting. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> One of the hosts of the Locked On Knicks podcast, Alex Wolf, is back on the show. Alex, welcome. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk some Knicks, even though it feels a little bit like a... Uh... Uh, incomplete project at the moment. Yeah, try, but it's still good to talk. <laughs> I tried to keep a lot of these teams, like trying to keep the Nets and the Lakers and the Knicks and the Jazz and maybe the Celtics and the Suns. All these teams that I haven't covered is because we're just there's so much certain, so much uncertainty. I can't wait forever though. So we're going to talk about these teams, and if something happens, it happens, and then hey, we'll probably get you back on later on if something does happen to just go over the uh, alleged potential maybe happening trade of Donovan Mitchell. But at this point, it's not happening, and we do have a roster. So let's talk about what's actually going on with this Knicks squad as it is, and let's talk about what has actually happened in the off season for this team. Of course, they bring in Jalen Brunson. They also bring in Isaiah Hartenstein, who I think's a really really impressive center who probably should have had a starting spot somewhere. We might talk about that a little bit later on as well. They also drafted Trevor Keels after trading out of the first round. And uh, they lose Alec Burks, Newlands Noel, and Kemba Walker. 
all in salary dumps so they could acquire Jalen Brunson. Taj Gibson goes to Washington and Ryan Archer-Jackano moves off into the void somewhere. Um, let's talk about Brunson. We don't need to litigate you know, how it happened or why it happened or anything like that. But I, I want to talk about this question because this gets brought to me a lot as a fantasy person. They go, Brunson, man, he's going to have this huge breakout. He's the guy. He's the number one man now. He's going to get the keys to everything. And I, I always push back on that, Alex. I say, I'm not sure about that because to me, there is easily situations where he is the third offensive option behind Barrett and Randall. So yes, he will run it in terms of passing, but Barrett needs the ball in his hands. Randall definitely needs the ball in his hands and will orchestrate offense. So how does that work with three guys who probably need to have the ball in their hands somewhat? Is Brunson the number one guy? Am I being crazy here? No, no. I certainly don't think he was brought in to be the number one. I think he was probably brought in to have more offensive responsibility than he had in Dallas. Um, you know, that. I think there's, yeah, I mean, I think that there's more, uh, there's more reasons than just even like the family connections or the money for why he came to New York. I'm sure that he came in part due to wanting more of a challenge as well, wanting more of a, you know, a featured role on a team. Whereas in Dallas, he was always going to have to be behind Luca. That said, I, you know, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be like a, you know, challenging RJ Barrett for like leadership of the team in the first year or something. Um, much like we saw sort of a, that kind of relationship between RJ and Julius last year, which Julius obviously wasn't super enthused with. It seemed like the Knicks were trying to push like RJ as the number one guy more uh, than Julius. If Julius is still on the team, I mean, there were a bunch of Knicks fans even joking about it that, uh, Brunson, Julius, and Obi Toppin played like a uh, like a pro am tournament oh, yeah. a couple weeks ago, and Julius was bringing the ball up every single time and like practically taking the ball out of Brunson's hands to bring it up the floor. So I think there would be a lot of that still in play if Julius is on the team. Obviously, the Mitchell thing, you know, if that ends up happening, I, th- I think Brunson would probably sit in a, a comfortable third in the pecking order, but that could change any given night. You know, it's it it would be a team where if Mitchell's the top guy, I think R.J. and Brunson would you know, sort of trade off any given night, given who's hot or who's, you know, who's doing better at initiating the offense or whatever, as far as who would bring the ball down more. But I think that the Knicks probably brought him on with the intention of him being the lead guard in the sense that like, you're going to want him setting up the offense more often than not. So I definitely think that will be the case, even if he's not necessarily like the number one scoring option. Barrett and Randall both had usages of about 28% last season. So it'd be really striking to me if Brunson came in and had that usage and those guys dropped to 24. In fact, it's just not going to happen. Like I'm, I, I can categorically say it here, Alex, unless they trade Barrett and Randall and get nobody back. It's just not going to happen. Like Brunson's just not going to be the number one guy. And he isn't this elite level passer. He's a good passer. He's a really strong finisher, very efficient. Doesn't probably take enough threes, but good mid-range shooter. Um, but he, he's not an elite passer. He's not... LaMelo Ball is not Luka Doncic. He's not LeBron. He's a solid passer who plays sort of off the ball and really complements other players. And I think people need to understand that there is a a distinct possibility that Brunson moves from a situation in in Dallas. Maybe he does have more usage, but maybe he doesn't. Because last season's Dallas team was Doncic and Brunson. Like, that's it. Like, nobody else was taking those shots, really, especially down the stretch there. It wasn't Dwight Powell. It wasn't Dorian Finney-Smith. It wasn't Reggie Bullock. It was Brunson and Doncic. And as we've said here, he might be number three. And... If somehow they do a trade where Randall and Barrett stay there and Mitchell arrives, well, then number three goes to number four. 
So just don't be expecting this gigantic usage bump for Jalen Brunson. Now, in terms of injuries, we like to cover off what happened there. You have Randall and missed some time at the end of the year. Fournier missed some time at the end of the year. I don't think anything serious to worry about there. But Derek Rose did have ankle surgery um, in what is now becoming a yearly tradition, it feels. Alex, is he... Is he ready to go to play 30 games and then sit out the rest of the year starting in January? I mean, he had had a pretty healthy year in 2021 and obviously was a huge catalyst for yep. the Knicks doing as well as they did uh, it, down the stretch of that season. So, you know, this is a little different from his average injury. You know, typically it's been his knees to this point in his career. Uh, he was actually fairly healthy for, I want to say, like two years prior to this past year, uh, obviously the 2021 season, I think the year before that he was fairly healthy as well. So, you know, you never know he's getting up there. He's, he's like 32 years old now. I think he's got obviously just wrecked knees, uh, that are probably arthritic and everything else. Like it's going to make life difficult on him on any, you know, any given day. I think as long as Tibbs can manage his minutes, he could be okay. It seems like the ankle thing, like he had, I, I think they said it was like a bone spur. That had to get removed or something like that. He got that removed and then was actually nearing a return uh, with about two months left in the season or maybe a month and a half and then caught like a staph infection um, oh, yeah, right. during his during his rehab or something. And that set him back. So, you know, it wasn't like a season ending ankle injury. It was like apparently a relatively minor procedure. It was, you know, he was only supposed to be out about eight weeks, but the staph infection then kind of threw a wrench in that. And then, of course, they didn't want to rush him back at the end of the season because why? Like there was nothing to play for and they were playing Emmanuel quickly and everything. So um, I'm not too worried about it. You know, I, I do think it is important at this point in his career that he's going to have to be a bench guy and not have his minutes pushed so much. Um, perhaps one thing that exacerbated his his ankle a little bit last year was that, you know, he was he was playing pretty consistently like 25 minutes or so even after – he had already been complaining of ankle discomfort. You know, every time he was healthy, he was out there for 25 minutes. I think maybe Tibbs is going to have to engage in a little more load management for Rose. And I think he did a little bit of a better job last year than certainly than he did in 2021. 2021, Rose was playing like 30-something minutes, like multiple games in a row, like all the time. Um, in this past season, at least early on, you know, prior to when the injuries started setting in, he was doing a pretty good job of capping Rose at around 20 to 25 minutes. And that seemed like a deliberate thing with him. Uh, Cause there were definitely times when Rose could have stayed in, but didn't. So I think health wise, he should be okay. Um, I, I don't think it was anything too serious. Just looking at his games played over the last few years, the most games he's played over the last five seasons has been 51. So mm. he, he's missed. I know there was two 72 game seasons in there or whatever it was, but he's missed. Yeah. 20 games, yeah. 20, but, 20, 30 games a year over the last five years, if not more. I think, I think year, you got, he missed yeah, 50. you got to figure he's going to miss some. Yeah, you got to figure yeah. he's going to miss some. Yeah. Have, last thing on Derek Rose, is there, and I know, I know this is not real because Tom Thibodeau is the coach, but on any other squad where Tom Thibodeau isn't the coach, could you see an argument to be made that, you know, playing, having Brunson, Fournier, Grimes, and quickly? as your four main guards and then having Barrett and say Reddish play as the three would be something that you'd want to look at with this young team because rather than trying to squeeze those 22, 23 minutes of Rosing, because it means one of those quickly Reddish Grimes guys has to miss out in terms of playing. But we know it's Tom Thibodeau, so it's just not going to happen. But in terms of future development and you're weighing that with maybe some sort of drop-off in production, could you see that Rose, maybe he doesn't need to play 23 minutes a night? Oh yeah, I don't think so. If if it wasn't Tibbs as the coach, I wouldn't 
even think that Rose would be playing, to be completely honest. And that's not even to say that, like, his skills have fallen no, off. No, like, no, I actually exactly. think, I think he was amazing in 2021, you know, and it was good last year before he got hurt. So, you know, the skills aren't even falling off. But, yeah, you just brought in Brunson, gave him, you know, starters money. So you want to give him those minutes. And then quickly, clearly is worth the investment based off last year. So it's not even like, it's not even like Rose is necessarily getting, you know, ousted for someone definitively less talented than him or something. But if it was me and I was running the rotation of the Knicks, I would do exactly like what you said. You know, I, I especially in a pre-Mitchell world, you know, I'm, I, I would have Rose out of the rotation and just kind of have him as a breaking case of emergency option, which as long as he stays in shape and everything, which he, that never seemed to be an issue for him, I, I don't see why that would be a problem because then he's a really great, like, third point guard to have that, you know, can soak up those those minutes when you need somebody if someone, you know, is hurt or something. So uh, that would be how a, a good way to manage both the health situation and the personnel situation, I think, if this team doesn't end up changing a bit going into the season. That said, again, it's all a moot point because Tibbs is definitely going to find like 20 minutes a game for him. He absolutely is. Um, before we get into talking more about the Knicks, I'm going to tell you about, so yeah, you guys would love me talking about Truebill in the past. Of course you do. I love talking about it as well, but they've got a new name. They are now called Rocket Money, and it's not just about sorting out your bills. If you keep saying you need to make a budget and you never do it, but you somehow keep missing your payments or you're afraid to look at your bank statements, it's time to take control of your financial life. You can meet Rocket Money. It is formerly known as Truebill, our favorite financial app. So why did Truebill change its name to Rocket Money? Well, we'll tell you why. Because it is now backed by Rocket Companies, and it's grown from just a bill management app into a full-on personal finance empowerment tool that helps over 3.4 million people with budgeting, lowering bills, canceling subscriptions, and more, saving each of their members on average $700 a year. With all that growth comes the next evolution in Truebill's story, a new name. Bottom line is, Rocket Money is everything that you've loved about Truebill with a fresh new look and feel. So start canceling your unused subscriptions and save money at rocketmoney.com slash lockedonmba. That's rocketmoney.com slash lockedonmba, or Download the app from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Um, talk about a projected starting five here. I don't think there's really any debate about this, Alex, apart from one spot. We've got Brunson, Fournier, Barrett, Randall, Robinson. Fournier was the starter all last season. And let's be honest, the starting lineup was dreadful for most of the season. And Fournier was a part of that. And we do have a guy waiting in the wings who apparently is some sort of a holdup in a Donovan Mitchell deal in Quentin Grimes. But this is Tom Thibodeau, a man who persisted with starting Alfred Payton every single game until he got to the important ones in the playoffs and decided, you know what, maybe he is actually bad and we won't play him. Um, and then, again, persisted when... And you talked about it before. Like just, I'm, I'm going to harp on this because he annoys the shit out of me, Tom Thibodeau. But... Yeah, Manuel Quickly's worth the, worth the investment. Yeah, that's cool. Then why do we never give him an opportunity? Like, let's play Rose. Let's play Brunson. Let's bring in Mitchell. Let's not start quick. Like, we never want to see him do any of these things. And even when he does through injury, we're just pushing back into the back. But that's that's beside the point. We, is there any hope that we use a common sense starting lineup and put Quentin Grimes in there over Ivan Fournier? Or are we just going to go with the same... I was going to say tried and true, but it's definitely tried. Um, and it's But it's not true. Like, this lineup with Fournier in there. Yeah, I guess it depends on how much you attribute the horridness of the starting lineup last year to Kemba Walker versus Fournier. I think Fournier definitely played his part. Walker missed the last 40 games of the year, though. Right, and the starting lineup, once they put Burks in, was actually pretty solid. Like, defensively, the the Knicks as a team were, like, one of the best teams in the league post-All-Star break. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, you know, defensively, it didn't seem like Fournier was holding them up that much. Uh, as long as you could put other good defenders around him, I would argue that Randall 
mailed it in more on defense. Like Fournier at least tries hard, even if he's not good at defense a lot of the time. Um, and, and then Burks at point, you know, was just really bad on offense, but they they managed to kind of make it work on defense to a degree. So I would say with Brunson, you know, adding him in, having the offensive firepower that he has, also the fact that like the Knicks finally seem to figure out how to use Fournier down the stretch. I should say Tibbs did. It should have been abundantly obvious to him that having him essentially operate as Reggie Bullock was not a great strategy all year. Uh, and yet he kept doing that. Just like he's a stubborn man. You know, like you said, he uh, he started out for Peyton for an entire season and, and you know, really mucked up what was otherwise a, a great <laughs> next season just by doing that. Um, but like as far as the uh, Fournier thing, I would love to start Grimes. You know, if it was up to me, I, I tried to project like what I think it would actually be. Yeah, if it was up I to agree. me, I would probably start Grimes at this point. I think the Fournier would feast against bench units, and you know, if he's really cooking, then you could close games with him certainly. But I think that Grimes does a better job of helping set the tone defensively early. If you have a lineup with Brunson out there, we saw times last year where Grimes was out there defending the the lead ball handler on the other team and doing quite well with it, um, while you know playing just like a, a spot up three and D role on offense. And that, you know, could free up a guy like Brunson to kind of hide on whoever the the least threatening defensive matchup is while Grimes defends the point of attack. Like, I think there are multiple reasons why putting Grimes out there would be a better idea and why having Fournier in with the second unit could have a similar effect to like what Alec Burks did in the second unit at his best, which was just having a guy that could just sauce up a defense and, you know, completely, uh, you know, break them down and just feast against a, a you know, a unit of all reserves and, you know, sort of have his way with them. So I, that would be my choice. I think unfortunately due to money and due to Tibbs loving veterans more than his younger players and everything else, Fournier is going to end up starting. But I would definitely, like you said, if it was up to me, Alex, as the coach of the Knicks, I would have Grimes or even Emmanuel quickly starting because I think quickly brings a really good energy on defense as well and obviously has some great on and off ball skills that I think would mesh really well with the rest of the starting lineup. Thibodeau must have real trouble trying to weigh his love of veterans and his love of defense. Cause like it's Grimes, it's defense, it's, it's Fournier, it's old guy who's no good anymore. Like which way do I go? But he, he's always going to push there. And that leads me into the bench grouping. You've got Derek Rose, Emmanuel quickly, Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, Isaiah Hartenstein. I don't think there's any debate that these are the 10 guys that are going to play most nights. The one I do want to talk about here is Toppin because we're in year three of him playing really just complete backup minutes behind Julius Randle, who's led the league in minutes in one of those two years and played a ton of the other ones. We saw Toppin really get unlocked towards the end of the year when Randle was out playing alongside quickly. But, given the fact that they just paid Mitchell Robinson, they brought in Isaiah Hartenstein, Julius Randle is still there. We're not going to see Randle and Toppen play together very much. And it's just going to be, again, probably another season of sub-20 minutes for Obi Toppen. Yeah. Again, this is assuming that that Randle doesn't go out in yep. an eventual Donovan, Donovan Mitchell trade, which I think the closer we get towards that trade, it's seeming more likely than not to me that Randle will probably go out that way because I think the Knicks will likely use him to try to get some sort of extra draft compensation or something. But if things stay exactly how they are, yeah, that's unfortunately how it's going to go. And and I mean, what's really sad is like even saying, even using 20 minutes as the benchmark is a stretch because oh, Tibbs yeah. refuses to play them together, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, he 
20 minutes is a great night for Obi Toppin if Julius Randle is active. And it's kind of criminal at this point because Toppin especially just fits so much better with what the starting unit is trying to do. Like Gavin, uh, my co-host, has actually floated this a ton on our show. Like the ideal arrangement that will never happen is that Julius Randle would come off the bench and Obi Toppin would play the starters minutes or like play the starting the starting role with those players because with the way that he runs the floor with the way that, you know, he doesn't need the ball in his hands, but makes like quick snappy decisions when he does get the ball. And just in general is, is a very smart basketball player. He just fits so much better than Julius Randle, who just seems content to want to ISO up all the time, who wants to draw doubles and triples. And, you know, is only good at passing out of those about half the time, you know, depending on what the situation is. And doesn't seem to ever feel interested at this point in his career in running just like a pick and roll with somebody or a pick and pop. You know, he kind of just always wants to be the guy that's making the action happen, whether it's ending with him taking a shot or him passing the ball. I just it, it would work so much better to have a player like Toppin in with that starting lineup, even minus a Mitchell, you know, where you have Brunson, let's say Fournier and, you know, R.J. Barrett. All three of those guys, you know, as you alluded to, none of them are like dynamite a one you know initiators and passers but all of them have their moments as passers uh and certainly like fournier had some really great minutes when he played in particular with jericho sims last year as far as you know finding a sealed off big man underneath and getting him a pass just where he needs it to go in for a quick dunk you know obi made so many great backdoor cuts last year that could be exploited by rj barrett or could be exploited by jalen brunson as they're driving to the hoop which is you know their forte's I just think there's a lot more utility for Obi out there uh, with the starters than there is for Randall. But unfortunately, just due to the player that Randall is and everything else, if he's on the team on opening night, he's going to be the starter. And Obi's once again, because Tibbs refuses to ever play them together, which is another arrangement that I love seeing in like the 10 minutes I've gotten to see it in two years. Um, but like, that's another great arrangement that they could take advantage of. And instead, they just kind of choose not to because Tibbs always likes to have a a true center out there, so to speak. And and Hartenstein certainly is that. They have Sims as their third guy, who's pretty darn good himself. So it's just never going to happen. And Obi's, yeah, I mean, short of injuries and stuff to Randall, is going to be struggling to get 15 minutes a game, if that. All right, so we've got, there's not that many young players here who are 22 and under, which is what I like to focus on when talking about youth. We talked about Grimes and Barrett a little bit. They drafted Trevor Keels and Juice McBride, but it's Tom Thibodeau. Like, these guys are just not going to play uh, with all the other guys on this roster. I, I do like Juice long-term, but again, we're just not going to see him too much, so I don't think we need to spend too much more time uh, talking about him here. But let's... um. Again, I think we've already covered this one as well, Alex, but this is just another year of, of Tom Thibodeau's stubbornness, I guess, that is going to probably... I don't know what frustrates me more, like Tom Thibodeau's stubbornness or watching Julius Randle play. Like, it's the two of the most... And, and people think that I just hate the Knicks. It's just those two guys, really, that just bug me no end with the way that they go about what they do. Um, so we're just going to see, again, that frustration with lineup inflexibility, with got to play a traditional big man who never touches the ball. The two lowest usage players, I think, that played regular minutes in the NBA last season were Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel. Um, coincidentally, played the same position on, for the same bloke on the same team. Um, how does that work, I guess, for Hartenstein? Because he's not a low usage center. He's a guy that thrives offensively. He can pass. Is And I, I say this knowing full well that it's stupid. 
but is Thibodeau going to adjust things to allow Hartenstein to do something rather than be a guy that gets 6% usage and never steps foot out of the paint? I don't know for sure. Um, it, it'll be interesting because once upon a time, right, like Tibbs loved having a, a pretty high usage yeah. big. Joke, right? Joke Noah. Joke Noah. Exactly. Yeah. And so maybe if Tibbs is willing to sort of readjust his his focus a little bit and say, hey, I have a guy here that can do a lot of the same things that my, one of my former favorite players used to do. Maybe we do see Hardenstein get trusted with a little more. Oh, I'm so. curious to see. I'm curious to see if they're going to ever run any sets where Hartenstein is is outside stretching the floor too, like in the corner. That's something you can never do with Mitchell Robinson. That you can never do with Nolan Sewell. That you can never do with Jericho Sims. Um, so is he going to be rigid and just say, "No, your role is to play exactly like Mitchell Robinson," or is he going to be flexible and say, "Yeah, you know what? I have a guy that can shoot so at the five. So may as well see if we can open up the paint for." You know, whoever's out there, whether it's Brunson or RJ or even Randall for that matter, like Randall with an open paint, if he would ever choose to drive in there is pretty good in that respect. Um, so it's like, I don't know. And, and, you know, there's there's two schools of thought, right? One is the one that I already outlined, which is that he could see some joking Noah and Hartenstein as a passing, shooting, versatile big man that can do more than just, you know, dunk it. Or he could be similar to how he was that I already alluded to with Evan Fournier last year, which is shoehorning a guy with a new skill set into the same skill set as the guy that he's replacing in Nerlens Noel slash Mitchell Robinson, which he's not replacing Mitch, but he's certainly replacing Noel's minutes and, and taking a lot of the minutes that Sims got down the stretch of last year. So like, I don't know. I, I hope it's the former, you know, I hope that he's willing to try something different with Hartenstein because the Knicks are clearly trying to, hand Tibbs some players that do different things and say, here, do something like <laughs> here's some new toys, like play with them the right way. And Tibbs is just going to like keep playing the same games with the, you know, it's like he had his old toys. So I, I don't know. It, it remains to be seen, but I really hope that like you said, that he's willing to kind of break his own mold a little bit and, and try something with Hardenstein. Cause he's, He's a really intriguing player, and I'm really excited to see him play for the Knicks. Yeah, I think he's better than Mitchell Robinson, to be honest. I think he does more things. He does more things offensively. He's as good, if not better. He's one of the best rim protectors in the league, Hartenstein. I know Robinson has block mm -hmm. numbers, but Hartenstein is an unbelievable rim protector and really good defensive player and a really solid offensive player and a strong passer. I just think he's better, but he's just not going to play more than him, I don't think. And again, it's Thibodeau. They're not going to split these minutes, I don't believe. Um, because look at I the, also worry, the investment I worry in the front office. Yeah, I worry a bit too. Just one quick thing on Hartenstein. The one thing in, in researching him, him coming in, is the foul rate is really high for him. And granted, it's gotten a little better. Yeah, but have you, have you seen Mitchell Robinson's foul rate? It's actually quite a bit better now. I mean, look at look at what he fouls per 36 the last like two years. It's like I'm gonna, three or four. I'm going <laughs> to look that up because it I know, it has imp it's definitely improved. But it's gotten to very respectable. Like right, let's, uh, let's good. Let's even <laughs> off the top of my head. I don't know that the two of the, those foul rates, but let's just have a look. Hartenstein last season. Let's have a look per 36 fouls, 4.9 for Hartenstein. Okay. That's, mm -hmm. that's not great, but it's not, it's not horrendous. It was horrendous prior to that. It was, he's, he's also came down. It was like 5.6 or something the year before. What was he was Robinson? at like nine in his he, rookie year. He was. was a lot. Yes, he was. And then Robinson, oh yeah, 3.8 per 36. There you go. And 3.6 last year. Yeah. yeah. He, that's what I was going to say, he is, he's very much scaled down on his stupid fouls the, that, that the, led to the, the stupid 
block attempts that led to fouls. Well, that's the thing. And this is such a common thing with big men. Is that, like Mitchell Robinson had in his first year 4.3 blocks per 36, and he's down to 2.6. And block rate and foul rate, they tend to drop. They tend For big men, they tend to drop pretty much... Uh, in, in line with each other. So as you stop going for those stupid blocks, you don't get them, but you also don't get fouls. So you stay out on the court. That is just a common thing with big men that the block rate will drop when the foul rate drops and when the minutes increase. That is just something that happens always. And we've sort of touched on this already as well, Alex, about Donovan Mitchell. We can debate whether he's worth seven first-round picks or four first-round picks and three swaps and 10 players or whatever. That's not really what we're here to do. But it's more like if he does arrive, what changes with this offense? Can he and Randall and Barrett and Brunson coexist because I don't know how it all works because I don't. There's only so many possessions when they're on the court. It require a lot of staggering, not Thibodeau's forte. Um, these are all high, high. Mitchell's a thirty usage guy. Randall and Barrett are twenty eight, as I said from last season. How does it actually work? Or they just those four can't coexist together? Like how how does it go together? I think those four would have a really hard time. I do think that if you take Randall out of the equation say he gets shipped out in the deal and you slot Obi Toppin in there, I think mm-hmm. you're talking about a, a much better mix. Because I, I think he's the X factor. He's the one that's going to want, unduly want the ball more. And, you know, it, it maybe Mitchell would finally be that guy that would get him to stop sulking every time he's not bringing the ball up the floor. Like maybe he would have enough mutual respect for Mitchell that he would say, okay, yeah, I finally get this. Maybe I'll set a screen for you. Like, but I don't know that that would be the case based off the last couple of years of results uh, and and what Julius has gotten accustomed to these last couple of years as far as not just his role, but also the lack of accountability from Tibbs uh, as far as you know how, how Tibbs polices him uh, in terms of his attitude and his behavior on and semi off the court, you know, stuff where he's like sulking after games and stuff like that. Um, so as far as the other three, though, I think it could work quite well. My main thing with Tibbs, uh, and we had a really long discussion about this um, on on our pod on Lockdown Knicks recently, if anybody wants to go listen. Uh, we had like a pretty big show that touched a lot on Mitchell and Brunson and how they might potentially fit together with one of our favorite like film buddies. And the big takeaway that we had was sort of like Mitchell on Utah had a super duper high usage rate, but didn't have a super high like rate of setting everything up you know what i mean like he would often kind of wait for the ball to come his way and then produce the shot that he had to produce at the end of the of the shot clock or whatever in utah where he wasn't necessarily always bringing the ball down the floor always being in charge of setting the play up executing it you know either taking the shot or finding someone else himself whatever i think with the knicks and the way that tibbs coaches that would change a lot and that does worry me a little bit because he was already kind of dogging it on defense with that high usage rate when he wasn't setting up the play every single time down the floor. And I worry that under Tibbs, he's going to essentially be taking on that Julius Randle usage uh, of being the guy that's bringing the ball down the floor most of the time. Hopefully Brunson would offset that some. uh, And hopefully even RJ would offset that some because I like the looks that the Knicks can get into with RJ bringing the ball down the floor sometimes. But I can't shake this feeling that Mitchell would be bringing the ball down the floor probably 60 to 70% of the time uh, just based off how Tibbs likes to use his top guys. If that's the case, I worry a bit about Mitchell getting sort of tired on offense. Granted, his numbers will probably be great Um, on offense. His defensive uh, uh, performance might actually get worse, Uh, but I, I I don't know. 
it's kind of unfortunately one of those we'll have to just wait until we see it. But my hunch is that Mitchell would be extremely high usage and extremely high play initiation, not just like usage percentage. Exactly. As people know, I talk about the show usage is not how often you hold the ball or how often you pass it. It's like how often do you end a possession? So you could literally dribble at one time and shoot every possession and that you're high usage player. So there's, there's different meanings behind that, but you're right. Like the more you have it and initiate and hold it for 20 seconds and try and run a million pick and rolls and do whatever like that takes it out of you as well. Who's a breakout candidate on this team? I think it's Brunson, actually, funny enough. Uh, you know, depending on how you how you qualify it, I guess. Um, but I think that he's going to be entrusted with a bigger role. He might, it, depending on how they decide to use him, he might flirt with, like, high single-digit assists, uh, if not maybe towards double digits. But I also think he's going to be shooting the ball a little more. He's going to be initiating more than he used to uh, with the Mavericks. So, you know, I, I think... I don't know if it's necessarily going to be 30 point per game playoffs, uh, Jalen Brunson, but I think that he might flirt with like 20 points per game and, you know, high ish single digit assists, which I would constitute as a breakout for a guy that has kind of been a role player for his career thus far. Uh, runner up would be Quentin Grimes. If he manages to crack through and, and get a starting role, he could easily be a 15 point per game player just on catch shoot threes. Yeah, I think, I, th- I think it's Grimes more personally to me. I, I just, I don't, I, Brunson was great last season, but he, he already averaged 16, four and five last season. So I, I do think that goes up, but maybe not a huge amount. But what about on the other end? Regression candidate? Is it, is it Randall? Probably. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that's one of the, I mean, I don't know though, because last year he regressed, but like counting stats wise, he still looked similar. I don't know how he could possibly hit much lower than last year. If I'm being completely honest, no, he, like, Oh, he, he could have been like the first year in New York. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess maybe if he gets all the way back to that point, um, I would argue he was almost dogging it more last year than he was his first year. He just, we see more of an issue on, on court or off court last year. It was like a mix, right? Like it's tough to really separate the two because I think he was a problem on court, but it was because he was sulking about stuff that was happening on the court. Like off the court, he never really said too many problematic things, like impress or whatever. Didn't he? Um, didn't he um, miss a few uh, scheduled press conferences? He was supposed to talk at, or am I just misremembering yeah. that? Yeah, they they saved him from a few. They didn't send him out, yeah. um, and they sent out other players. You know, they like the team still fulfilled their requirement okay. or whatever, but they sent other players out instead of Julius. Well, at least we um, saw him more than uh, we, we've seen Leon Rose in front of the media. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a whole other rant about that. <laughs> where I don't really care so much about that, to be completely honest. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest issue, like the one that Gavin and I always go back to was there was this comeback game against the Bulls where the Knicks made this big uh, comeback. Yeah, yeah, it was mostly led by quickly Barrett, you know, whatever, like all the young players. And Randall didn't really have much of a, a say in that game. And – the Knicks finish off this big comeback and the win and all the young guys are mobbing each other and like jumping on one another. And it's a big party. And Julius like slams the ball into the ground, storms into the tunnel and allegedly demands a trade the second he gets back there. And it's like, that's the type of stuff that was happening last year. That was really problematic. And, you know, that's where it blurs the line. Like, is that an on-court issue or is that an off-court issue? I don't know, but he was also on the court was setting really bad examples with, like dogging it on defense for whole games. He was the main, I remember this one game and I I wish I could remember who the opponent was where he didn't, I swear he didn't take a single shot inside the three point line. It was like, he was like in protest, just taking whatever garbage three he could generate on any given possession as like 
it must have been a statement to somebody like asking him to take more threes or something. Just being like, well, if you want me to take threes, here's all your threes. He took like 10 attempts from three and like one mid-ranger, and that was all of his attempts for the whole game. You know, it's just stuff like that. It's very, very passive aggressive, bordering on outwardly aggressive stuff from him that mostly happened on the court, but occasionally spilled over, I guess, a little bit into media availability. Well, um, I guess the takeaway from that, Alex, is that it can always get worse. Let's um is this te- is this Knicks, man. <laughs> is this team better than last season? Yeah, I'd have to say that they are. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, you know, even before Mitchell trade, I think Brunson, you know, you're replacing Kemba Walker, yep. who was terrible, and then Alec Burks, who is not a point guard, with Jalen Brunson, who is both not terrible and a point guard. So, you know, I, I think that's even if he just plays like a league average point guard, which is what he's paid like. Cool. That's good by me. I mean, I think that that instantly raises the floor for the team. Um, and, you know, he'll have a big effect there, regardless of if he makes some sort of star turn or not, or even if he just plays exactly like he did in Dallas, that's automatically a huge upgrade at a position that the Knicks have not had good production from in like 20 years. So, yeah, they'll do better this year, I think. I think they'll eclipse 40 wins, no matter what. Who's the most likely player to be traded? that's a trick question um hey i i'm gonna say probably grimes unfortunately just because that's the name that keeps coming up most in the mitchell you know trade discussions uh i think that he's going to be effectively the centerpiece there um julius i think is a close second i just i think like what we've been taught you've said it like four times i've said it like four times like julius would not work on a team with brunson mitchell and rj like as much as if you could reprogram his brain from scratch, like give him a, a, a you know, a hard reboot, you know, back to Julius 1.0 and, you know, figure out how to reprogram him to play with those guys, it could work. But the player that he is right now, it's just not going to work. I don't think that the, the Knicks front office right now is dense enough to think that, like, that could work based off what we saw last year and how he reacted to RJ taking, like, some of his reps, quote unquote, from him. Uh, having Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson also taking that and him having to take that big of a step back, I think they know would not work. That's why I think, I think in conjunction with getting Mitchell, they're going to work out something to get Julius a new home, maybe with the Lakers or something and use the jazz as that Westbrook dumping ground and get the Lakers a couple players to persuade them to maybe part with one of their future first round picks and like, a couple seconds or something to make that happen. Let's end this show with a couple of quiz questions. Basketball Index has a bunch of metrics that they use for you know, numerous things. And it's not just straight, you know, who's got the best three-point shooting percentage. Because so we're going to look at three-point shooting talent. We're going to look at playmaking talent. We're going to look at finishing talent. It's not just who has the most assists, who has the highest three-point percentage, or who has you know, the highest field goal percentage because they're just getting putbacks and, and lobs. It, it might mm-hmm. mean that they're getting putbacks and lobs, but it's not just what that's about. So when we think about finishers, when we think about playmakers, we think about three-point shooters, on this Knicks team last season, which player do you think graded out with the highest three-point shooting talent metric, the player that's still on the team this season. Oh, that's tough. Um, it, it is tough. My, my immediate thought is, oh man, my my immediate thought is Fournier, but I know based off of like the the B-ball index uh, uh, metrics, they love quickly, and his shooting ability and his shooting talent, and also Grimes. Um, I'll I'll lock in 
you know what? I'll still I'll still lock in on Fournier, but I don't feel good about it. Oh, you should feel good about it. It was Evan Fournier. Okay. He, uh, I think, part of that is volume. Like he took almost eight threes yeah. a game, and he was you know, really one of the only guys in that starting lineup who was able to to do that with that sort of regularity. And you're taking shots off the dribbles, important there as well. What about playmaking? Who do you think was the guy that was able to open things up for his teammates, get them into good positions, high versatility of passes, volume of passes, yeah, hitting guys, potential assists, that sort of thing. Oh, that's tough too. It's like really, really dumpster diving here. Um, it's not Alfred Payton. It's definitely not Alfred Payton. It's not Alec Burks. Uh, it's not going to be Kemba Walker. I don't think it's going to be Julius. I am. I'm going to go ahead and go quickly. I, I think maybe it was quickly. It was actually Derek Rose, and then quickly was second. Oh, so Derek okay. Rose, he, he he's really developed into it because like, that was. Okay, as a point guard, he wasn't the greatest passer younger in his career or earlier in his career, but he has developed into a really, really strong passer. And the last one, um, finishing talent. Again, it, it's not just about putbacks. It might be, it, but it's not just about that. Some of it is finishing through contact and drives, but we've already highlighted some of the issues of maybe some of these teams' bigger usage players in Randall and Barrett not necessarily being the best drivers or finishers. So who do you think graded out with the best finishing talent on this team? I wish Brunson was eligible because I know it would be him. <laughs> it would um, be, yep. <laughs> <laughs> by like a mile um oh man i i'm leaning towards rj still uh because i'm trying to think i mean unless mitch is finishing and shooting like over 70 something percent again was just enough to kind of force him in there but considering it's taking other factors into play i i'm gonna go with rj I'm going to go with RJ. It was actually Mitchell Robinson because that vo- that, yeah. that that percentage was just so high. And the other guy, there was no it's one like who 74% was... 74% or something. Yeah. yeah, it was obscene. I think, yeah, and the other guys just weren't actually like even remotely passable in a lot of it. Like they might've got there, but Barrett had pretty poor, poor finishing where we know Randall's got those issues. They just weren't great at it. So Robinson's value push in there. And the last question, it is regarding newcomer Jalen Brunson. He has been in the top X percent of mid-range shooting players in the NBA every year of his career. So what percent would you say that is, including him as a rookie, over the last four years, or th- sorry, three years in his career, he has been in the top what, or four years, sorry, top what percentage of the NBA as a mid-range shooter? I'm, I know he's really good as a mid-range shooter. I'm going to be conservative because uh, this is this is like each year, what is his floor, right? Like not cumulative yeah. over the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Each, each year, like, what, what is the, where was the lowest he finished, basically, over that time? Because, yeah, he, he remember, as a, as a rookie, we, a lot of players struggles, but he's always been, he's always been pretty good. All right. I, I'm, like, fluctuating between 75 and 80% in my head, so I'll just split the difference to say 77.5%. It was, he was in the top, so I've, I've worded it differently. But he was in the top twenty percent, so he was the lowest he graded at was eighty first percentile. Right. You said seventy seven point five, but in the last, I was thinking like percentile. Yeah, yeah my, bad, my the, bad. The last three years, he's been in the top nine, top nine, uh, top. So ninety first percentile has been his worst uh, mid range shooting season. So he's not it, it's not like a one season fluke. He's been great every year, and he's been pretty much elite over the last three seasons in um, mid range shooting. Alex, that will uh, wrap it up for us today. Thanks for coming on and chatting about the Knicks. And hey, who knows? By the time we release this in a day or two, things might be completely different, such as the perils of trying to do uh, team previews for every team before things have actually shaken all the way up. But you can check out Locked On Knicks. They'll have immediate reactions if something does happen with Donovan Mitchell. Alex, thanks for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Always a fun time coming on and talking Knicks. Really appreciate you having me on. 
And that will do it for me on this show. There will be another show later today. We're going to be talking Denver Nuggets, a very interesting team with uh, injury returnees, second-year players. We'll talk about that on that show later on. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.